Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordic Podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordic tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to making doing business easier. Today, I'm joined by Irina from UNICEF, Carlos from Stora Enzo, and Rocio from Atlan Insights. Before we delve into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like I'd like to know who you are and what is your biggest passion. Irina, could you kick us off, please? Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for inviting me. And it's a pleasure to talk to your audience as well. My name is Irina. I'm Innovation Manager AI Lead for the Office of Innovation at UNICEF, working on uh, AI-based solutions that solve the toughest problems for children all over the world. Um, my biggest passion, I think, um, theater. <laughs> love theater and books, um, but also uh, seeing young girls becoming, um, like, getting interested in, in STEM and becoming um, someone who can replace me. Yeah, I love seeing that. I'm very passionate about it. Amazing. Thank you for that, Irina. Carlos? Sure. So, yeah, thank you for inviting me to, to the podcast. My name is Carlos. I'm original from, from Ecuador, but I, I live in Sweden for 15 years. I'm a senior data scientist at Sturenso. Uh, I love learning and especially how to apply software engineering design in machine learning and data science. Uh, over the five, past six years, I've been working in projects uh, related to forecasting, recommender systems, and uh, natural language processing, and now, of course, generative AI. Um, my passion in my free time, I like to play music. Uh, I'm interested also in health, fitness, but also like researching data science topics related uh, topics and exploring the advancement in, in in AI. Also experimenting with you know implementing ideas from research papers into projects that I'm currently working on. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for that, Carlos. And last but not least, Rathia. Hi everyone, thank you. Um, I'm Rocio Bachmai and I'm CEO and AI advisor at Adlan Insights, where I help companies adopt AI in the most efficient way for their specific business. And I'm very passionate about gender equality within AI as well. So I'm part of the leadership team in Women in AI Sweden. For those who don't know about them, it's a non-profit organization, global-wise, that is working towards inclusive AI, where I lead the events area. And I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Amazing. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've established a context to each of you, Let's move on to the topic of focus. You all have a question or statement on data ethics and responsible AI. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasoning behind it. 
to give us some context. Irina, could you kick it off, please? Of course. Um, so my question is, which topic, in your opinion, which topic in responsible AI is usually taken for granted and not discussed enough as if it's something easy and perfectly understandable? And my main pet peeve in this area, like something that I really, really don't see enough conversations about, is the trade-off that usually exists between many very great ethical principles, which are amazing by themselves, like do no harm and trust and transparency, explainability. Um, but in practice, when it comes to actually building and implementing AI solutions, some of those principles may be at odds. I work quite a lot with open source AI solutions. I am a, a co-chair on the um, community of practice for the Digital Public Goods Alliance, uh, developing an, an updated standard for um, AI systems as digital public goods. So for us, openness of AI systems so that everybody can access them, can use them, can build new solutions for them. The AI systems being open source is something that we want to promote. At the same time, data privacy, protecting the actual security of those systems, protecting the, the responsible practices of data extraction and data use can sometimes, or in many contexts like medical um, research or healthcare, uh, children's data. In many cases, you want to prioritize privacy over transparency and openness. Both of them are great things that are really worth pursuing. But when it comes to practice, developing a standard for open source AI for uh, uh, systems, for example, has been a challenge for many organizations that are right now publishing papers and discussing it, but because it's it's a trade-off and it's a very e tricky ethical dilemma. Unfortunately, I don't see it enough in like mainstream responsible AI publications. It's still like, oh, it's a niche. But that trade-off between ethical principles, and it's not just transparency, privacy, it's just uh, as an example. Um, for me, that would be my topic of choice. I would really be curious to hear which other topics or similar topics in responsible AI I do think are not discussed enough. Yeah, all right. So um, I agree. I agree with you. But I, I think that we, we talk a lot about uh, privacy, security, transparency. But in my opinion, one of the topics that hasn't been discussed as much is um, accountability. So ensuring that those who design, develop, deploy uh, AI, they are answerable for the impact and, and the consequences of, of the systems. So it means that setting clear responsibilities, being transparent and, and creating mechanisms to hold individuals and make sure that organizations are responsible for, for these aspects, for these ethical aspects in, in AI. Um, I think that, for example, this is something that, that was taken for granted, accountability was taken for granted when GPT models were launched uh, to the public and the product ChatGPT itself. I don't think that we were aware of the consequences of those systems. Perhaps we go because we were not aware of the uh, bad intentions of, of users who don't use these technologies responsibly. So, for example, people could use them to, you know, pass security breaches or copy content or 
copy content without respecting the author's rights and uh, engaging in bad activities or man trying to manipulate public opinion as well. So I think it's important that we we should know whom to turn to when the technology produces incorrect outputs. But to be honest, if if we continue at this pace uh, so fast with the development of, of AI, I think that we will reach a point that we won't know in which direction we are going. And these advancements are happening so fast, so rapidly that topics such as you know privacy, security, or accountability, they may become impossible to control in the future. So I, I listened to the to this podcast the other day, uh, and they explain they used uh, the idea of singularity in physics. So, for example, in a, in a black hole, we know that the laws of physics apply up to a certain point, but we don't know what's what's beyond that. So, similarly, when machines become smarter than us, and I hope that. I really hope that we won't reach that point in the future. I think all these regulations and laws, they won't make that much sense. Yeah. I think uh, my topic of choice is uh, kind of connected to the one that you, Irina, brought up and is how to really translate that theory into practical operations across companies, but of course, any kind of organization of responsible AI, because there is a lot of discussions, as you said, and the the biggest challenge is how to translate that into a re real reality and also in ways that are applicable for everyone. I think it's so contextual that it becomes so hard to translate into a framework or a set of guidelines that is going to be useful for everyone. Right. Um, so uh even though uh, i think awareness is getting better and better i believe that across research level and governmental level it's something that is very much discussed um you don't see first that much awareness across industry uh, and that has very much to do with like translating theory into practice because since you can't really understand how to take action on it you just move on to the next priority <laughs> um and i think the biggest corporates are definitely talking about this, at least. But since now AI has become more and more accessible for any type of businesses, uh, the ones that have not previously been working with AI are not even looking into this or talking into it. And um, so I, I see a huge gap between yeah, big corporates that do have, you know, the financial muscle to have their own internal AI teams and those that are like, just like last year or maybe this year, starting with their AI journey. Um, and one of the reasons why I think it's also so difficult to translate from like the theory to practice is because all the conversations go or turn around what's fair and what's not fair, uh, what's what's ethical and what's not ethical. And that's so subjective, subjective as humans are. So it's very, very difficult to get everyone in the room agree and take the same direction because it's going to be super, super difficult. Maybe one idea, one tip there uh, to move forward. I noticed that it works very well if instead of asking about one topic being uh, like ethical or not, uh, fair or not, uh, a better question to, to ask is, uh, can we or do we want to take responsibility for this situation happening. If this risk or situation materializes, are we assuming the responsibility? Are we gonna be uh, holding ourselves accountable for it? And this again also links a little bit to like what Carlos was talking about regarding accountability across organizations, who is responsible and for what? 
And I think once you bring out that type of question, it's easier to for business leaders and like leaders across any organization to make a decision. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna assume responsibility for this situation if it materializes. This is so fascinating topics. I love this so much. I have a follow-up question, if I if I may, for for you both, because I I absolutely wholeheartedly agree that taking responsibility and building structures in which people uh, take responsibility, are able to take responsibility, or are um, enforced to to take responsibility, are absolutely essential. Do you think that national or international regulations are needed for that? Like, I'm not going to say that companies did not take data privacy seriously before GDPR came along. But certainly after GDPR, suddenly everybody started talking about data and the value of data and protecting data. Do you think that we only will see some accountability after the regulations of AI will uh, become the reality, like the UAI Act or others internationally? Or do you think that there are standards that uh, companies can voluntarily commit to um, like some companies do, but not everybody. And what kind of redress mechanism or accountability mechanism would be realistic for someone say, yeah, if we've made a mistake, if we screwed up, it's on us to fix that. What do you think it would take to get there? I think uh, without regulation, you do have a very heterogeneous landscape. At the end of the day, the decision is going to land of the, on the leaders of the different organizations. Some are going to be willing to go further into it. Some others are not. And what regulation does is basically bringing everyone at the same level, right? Um, and on one hand, I'm very, uh, very much in favor of like moving fast and innovation. But I think when they're like such... Uh, systemic changes that can really affect everyone at so many different levels. It's also important to have regulation to help entities figure out solutions and figure out uh, answers. So I think if used well, if done well, regulation can really help everyone understand what can be a better path or a good path for to follow when you really haven't been able to, you know, build that wheel yourself. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that definitely global regulations is something that's needed to be able to to implement this. Um, I don't know if it's possible to to really implement the same regulations for all the regions since, you know, the cultures are different and, and different countries. So what's, you know, how how one country could define responsibility or responsible AI for another country is completely different and the interest of, of countries using AI it's completely different so I think we definitely need a global definition of what responsible AI is and being able to to create these global regulations it's important and to top on on that I believe that we're struggling with that conversation across all levels I mean not everyone has the same concept of human rights not necessarily only applied to AI, right? It's like, I think it's much more of a bigger question <laughs> across uh, humanity. 
So um, you you definitely need uh, an entity, an organization that is supranational, that is like really going to bring the different perspectives and try to get as close as we can to somewhat of an understanding that may help everyone at global level. But then, of course, there will certainly be regulations that uh, narrow down a bit more on the specific needs, on the specific perspectives and views of what human rights are and what like, uh, perspectives are for AI that the different uh, political and geographical groups are going to be defining. Great. Fantastic insights. If I may just add one little fact, like we are talking about the necessity of it. The UN Secretary General has already decided that, yes, we are moving towards uh, harmonizing international regulations uh, on AI. And the UN will try and play uh, some role in, in this. Uh, and the discussions are ongoing. So we have hope. There's always hope. <laughs> Thank you for that question, Irina. Carlos, can you uh, share your question and give some context surrounding it? Sure. So my question to the panel is, do we truly want to eliminate bias in AI or should we aim to control it? So uh, in recent years, using artificial intelligence in many aspects of our lives has raised worries about social biases and stereotypes. As these biases become embedded in the technology we use, uh, it becomes more and more important to, to explore strategies for addressing them. Some are trying to fully remove or el eliminate bias from AI models, while others are trying to find a balance. So let me first explain uh, what bias is in AI. So it refers to the presence of, of unfair influences in the data uh, used to train a machine learning model. So these can result in a model making predictions or decisions that favor certain groups or outcomes, and these could lead to unequal or unjust treatment. So I think that removing bias uh, could have both positive and negative impacts uh, in AI. I think that the AI system should be, should be allowed to contain some kind of bias, but in a carefully and controlled way, since AI can be biased by design. So the problem of removing incorrect data could lead also to other problems or introduce additional bias that then is hard to trace or identify. So fully removing it might affect, uh, for example, creative expression and diversity of artistic content. For example, if uh, we have an AI algorithm used to, to generate content creation, it would limit their ideas, perspectives, and limit artistic freedom. So um, I think that first, it's important to investigate the type of bias that we're dealing with, since these kind of biases in AI systems can come from different sources. So first, we should identify the source, since we know that systems can be biased by design. So there is this idea of uh, algorithmic fairness. Uh, there are companies like OpenAI that they have they have opted to, to have uh, human workers that are annotating the data. But also by implementing or by, by having human workers, um, this could we run the risk that of introducing new cultural, ideological, or, or political biases that are uh, tied to, to this person, to the human worker. So uh, in the end, it's not I don't think it's possible to make a, an AI fully fair for all cultures and ethnicities. It will be unfair and bias at a, uh, at a certain point. 
So, um, and this is also interesting. Uh, it's a it's a very good question in general for our society because they make um, it it makes us think how our society is shaped, and our society is already biased. So I think this whole this whole issue uh, this goes beyond an AI issue. It's really something that's more a society issue. I would say. <laughs> I would also like to ask the question in a different way. Like you ask if we want to, but could we even? I mean, it's it's a little bit of the Schrodinger's cat situation. Anything that is invented or created by a human is inherently biased because it's got your imprint, it's got yeah. your perspective. Just the way that you as a human would be interacting with some, something that design has a bias because there's a, a, a perspective, there is... Uh, it's subjective. Mm. So, uh, and and even if we could, do we want to eliminate it? Is yeah, exactly. It yeah, I, I think that that's that's a very interesting question. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is something that we that we discuss all the time. And yeah, in my opinion, I don't think it's possible to to eliminate bias. It's something that it's already it's already there, and it's I don't know. I don't think it's negative. It's definitely how you see it, and it it also depends in, on the on the technology that you are. That you're building and the type of outputs that you are expecting also from from the AI. So I think it's it's important to have that very clear the type of objective and and uh, you know why you are building that technology. It's very contextual, right? Yeah. And I think I yeah. think um, just as you shared the definition, including the word fair, which is literally subjective what's fair and what's not fair it depends. I think there there are so many concepts of fairness as humans on this earth probably. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it goes back to the um, to the question of uh, if you're building something that is going to help someone is already not helping some other ones. Right. The more you personalize, the more you design something to specifically cater the needs of a certain group of people can automatically uh, disregard or not be helpful for other groups. So it's a is a very tricky question. Where, where is the line, and which like uh, that you draw to differentiate? Okay, your focus is helping this group versus like now you're not supporting other groups. Then exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of tricky. <laughs> okay, I think I'm going to uh, very strongly go in a different direction here. It's an interesting discussion. So for me, the conversation about bias, um, first of all, I, I agree that bias is coming from the data or sometimes from the model. You can also introduce bias by uh, changing the model weights or other parameters or which, whichever features you may or may not include to train your model on. And obviously bias kind of um amplifies the existing inequalities like we said in in society the problem with ai is that it takes up a notch or sometimes a hundred notches right it, whatever biased or racist or uh, sexist or unequal decision d discriminatory decision a human may make ai will make it on a massive scale and that could have very, very real consequences. So the, the problem for me 
personally with uh, the concept of a benevolent bias is that are we okay with harming people? I don't think we are, right? That's not the point. And I think what I'm hearing you saying is that there is no universal AI solution that would work for all groups, but there shouldn't be, right? We know that all AI systems are contextual. They need to be trained and read. You cannot just take it from one context, from Sweden, for example, and transplant it elsewhere, and just hope that your model will magically work and be, uh, give absolutely perfect outputs. That's not how it works. You need to retrain it on new data. You need to change your model parameters and so, so on, and probably in their labeling questions, your human workers also need to be retrained. Your users need to be retrained. Whoever makes all decisions based on um, AI predictions also need to be retrained, right? So it's all contextual. That means that AI systems could be um, contextualized or adapted, personalized for different types of um for, for different groups of people for different decisions for different contexts certainly different locations and different countries what i'm seeing most often is that that's not happening right one system is built for the majority and one is harmful for minorities and sometimes minorities are women, like half of the population, but they are somehow not majority or even half in the data and they get harmed. I'm not quite okay with people getting harmed by AI system. I'm sorry, I'm not. So for me, the, the question of um, removing bias being impossible we need to build better systems, right? We need to acknowledge that if your system is biased towards a specific group of people, you're making wrong decisions. You're doing bad business. That's as, like you're literally having bad outputs. Why would you want that? But what we can do to build better AI systems that are more specific, that are more accurate for specific contexts or specific groups of people, then that bias would introduce equity, if not fairness, and that would not be as um, horrible or as harmful as other um, alternatives. And the second problem that, that I have with like controlling with the concept of control and bias is who gets to control it, who gets to make decisions of how do we categorize a label or collective and data or share the data or exclude the data, who um, gets to make decisions of which models go into production and which models go uh, who gets to make the final decisions based on the AI predictions. Like, I'm, I'm very curious about OpenAI being brought up as an example of, of fairness or something that they are doing right, because ChatGPT and DALI are horribly, horribly biased. Their outputs very much present white-centric, male-centric version of the universe, which is not reflecting the majority of the world, including Europe, including Sweden. 
go ahead and ask Dali to uh, output how a Swedish woman or or this typical Swedish person looks or how a typical Swedish house looks. This has nothing to do with reality. And that is for me like putting trust into something that we don't assume would be harmful, but actually is because somebody gets to control it and tell us that they have thought about it. You don't need to worry about it. For me, putting that trust in in the goodwill of someone who may not have your best interest at heart and is rather driven by, by profits could be a dangerous path to take. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for your opinion. Very interesting. Seeing different, you know, from different angles. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks for that question, Carlos. And last but not least, Rocio. Um, thank you so much for sharing your uh, thoughts, Irina. I think it's uh, definitely something to take into account. I don't think it's a black or white answer here. It's still an open question when it comes to bias within AI. Um, and it links very well back to the conversation we were having before regarding accountability and responsibility, right? At the end of the day, for a solution, no matter which the area to help someone, you need to tailor it to the specific needs and the the specific context. So it is definitely essential that when, uh, when an entity such as OpenAI launches a product where so many different people are going to be part of, you definitely know that there are groups that are extremely representative and they're not accounted for. It is definitely something to point at and to improve. Like we do have more than 50% of the population who are women. So of course, gender inequalities displayed as part of their product is something that is quite shocking and they haven't addressed yet. So I agree, like there's there's definitely um, room for improvement when it comes to bias. But uh, talking about eliminating it completely takes us on the other side of the scale where like it might not even help anyone if the, the AI solution doesn't have any bias at all, as in it purely has numbers and scientific uh, text in order to like help everyone else building things. So I think it's a, it's a, a matter of like finding that middle point that is going to be good enough to actually help a lot of people, but it's also not going to be harming people. But that part of not harming people is really hard to implement, right? Because AI systems don't exist in a in an abstract uh, world filled with vacuum. A, a theoretical abstract. AI model that is completely unbiased, if we are aiming for that, probably we could find a use case where this could be possible to implement. The problem is that the world is not unbiased and the AI systems would still make choices and would still make predictions that will make the outcomes unequal, that will make different effects for different groups of people. So again, remembering the societal context, I love when you brought this up, um, is 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 that part of like we cannot talk only about technology without rem- remembering the humans in it. So thanks a lot for this question. It's a it's a great one. Thank you for the answers. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks for that, Carlos. 
Um, and last but not least, Rocio, can you share your question and give some context around it, please? Absolutely. I'd like to ask the panel, um, AI can do many things, but should it? And this is a very open question. I know it can take many, many directions, and I'm very eager to, to hear all your other takes on this. But I would say there are like two main uh, directions that I'm really interested in. The first one is AI in connection with sustainability. Let me elaborate a little bit more. AI consumes a lot of resources, right? And it can do a lot of really good things. We we talk a lot and we hear a lot about AI for good because it's going to definitely help us figuring out a lot of solutions to address the really big challenges in society, including climate change. But at the same time, it has this huge ecological impact. So should we really leverage AI for any use case? Should we be using AI to generate cute pictures of cats or <laughs> generate funny poems, given what it consumes. Um, and, and I think the biggest challenge uh, from my point of view starts with the lack of data we have about it. It becomes uh, a bit of a struggle to, to find the energy consumption from the different AI solutions. So even if you as a user or even as an entity would like to understand the ecological impact uh, of uh, using certain solutions with AI, um it's the, the data is not there so how can you even make uh, those decisions without the data and i think i'd like to see way more awareness and conversations about that ecological impact of the different ai solutions maybe have that uh, inner thought sometimes in your head like does this really uh, deserve the energy consumption that it's going to take by using this specific ai tool and then the the other area, the other direction that you can take the question of uh, should AI uh, do certain things is those those AI applications where the potential outcomes wouldn't be ideal, even if everything could be done by the AI. And maybe the most known one or the most famous one is AI within surveillance, right? We've talked a lot about it, and I think especially with the EU AI Act, is something that has been uh, brought up many, many times. But then there are these services or certain type of activities that have been inherently human and uh, AI can be involved in. But should we actually use AI for the whole, the whole service or, or the whole activity? And two examples that I uh, think about reflect very much this situation are teaching and education. I think in certain tasks, AI is amazing and it's going to help us do so many more things and improve a lot the way we learn. But on the other hand, isn't it game changing to have a human who's extremely inspiring and who's going to be really uh, empathic when when teaching and, and, and learning from a human can be such a fantastic experience. Whereas like if you maybe have uh, an AI solution that can do the full learning journey yeah. are you going to feel the same is it going to work the same way in your brain are you are you engaging is it going to be as fascinating as it can be as having a conversation with humans as we are having here today in the panel uh, and another example could be therapy and we know like there are little um, uh, tasks and solutions that uh, have ai integrated that can help out with mental health but 
is it the same as like talking to a, a human? Is the interaction gonna be as impactful? So yeah, I'm, uh, th those are the two directions that I uh, I thought about, but really, really excited to hear what you, Carlos and Irina have to say. Uh, <laughs> there are so many great examples and I'm just like nodding, <laughs> aggressively <laughs> nodding to all of that because those would be my examples as well. Sustainability, yes. And I see so many companies that actually put on their front page that they are all green and like super sustainable and very keen on on um, um, advocating for clean energy. And then in the corner, there is a chat box chatbot uh, box that that is talk to us about sustainability um yeah the hypocrisy of that i think a lot of companies are going to deal with and i'm like I, i've been asked several times in the past like couple of weeks what are my main predictions for 2024 uh, in terms of ai trends and i kept saying that i think there is going to be a payback for the hype that we've been uh riding throughout 2023 in terms of this is an extremely cool toy or a tool depending on how you're using uh that generative ai has become for many people and for many companies the payback would be to dealing with the costs and not only the financial costs or human costs of developing or uh, implementing it and production but also the background costs of what it takes to develop a system like that how much energy they consume how much uh, human resources they take for labeling the data, for processing the data and so on. And many of those companies, we know that they have employed practices for data labeling, which were very far from ethical, let's put it that way, right? So the, the reality of digital sweatshops where people are paid pennies for labeling some very disturbing content to develop these shiny new tools like Companies will need to deal with them in the same way as fashion industry had to deal with the problem of sweatshops and refusing to, to use child labor in plantations effectively. So the payback will, will be there. Um, I'm still hoping to see it sooner rather than later. Whether it's a reason for AI not to do certain things, um, I would still hope that we will see better uh, AI systems at some point that consume less energy. And I absolutely agree that we need more transparency because if you, what you cannot measure, you cannot control. In terms of teachers, I'm listening to you and I'm like envious terribly because you, it sounds like you've had some amazing teachers. I can absolutely imagine people who are like this person who is standing in front of me should not be a teacher <laughs> ever. Um, I've seen AI, um, if we are talking specifically about generative AI, right? I've seen AI systems being endlessly patient in explaining the same concept or reading a book out loud again and again and again, 3000 times. And it's, it's nice when somebody is patient with you when you're trying to learn something, isn't it? But the possible mistakes or the lack of human interaction absolutely could be detrimental. And if we are talking about children and the way they learn, play 
and creativity and the ability to make mistakes and somebody saying, oh yeah, let's explore that mistake and turn that into something uh, amazing. That part of play is a, a child's right and it's something that is super important for the way children learn and humans grow as humans, right? So yes, there, there are certain things that I, I probably should do as a complement, as, as augmenting human efforts rather than trying to substitute human teachers outright. When it comes to mental health, just no. <laughs> just no. <laughs> I've, I don't know if you've seen that, that um, test that some researchers did on some of the old versions of, of uh, GPT. I think it was GPT-3, so about two years ago when when um, um, the researcher said that that, that uh, they are not feeling well, they're feeling depressed and somewhat suicidal. And the GPT-3 said, well, I'm sorry to hear about that. I can help you with this. Should I kill myself? Yes. I think like that, th that fact that we need to remember that generative AI systems don't know what they're producing. They're not actually intelligent. They're simply predicting the next word or the next sentence. What you're actually interacting with in all of those mental health apps that now have chatbots, you're interacting with a sociopath. It is a system that has no real emotions, but says that it does. It's the literal definition of a sociopath. Why would you want to do that? Someone who will lie to you and say, oh, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that. Um, to me, that's a terrifying proposition. But then again, maybe I know too much about it. Yeah. Um, and there are other things that I think the question is always why, right? It's not that we are against AI, against technology, because we think it's horrible and it's going to destroy the world. I don't believe in a tech apocalypse and the, <laughs> the rise of the machine. <laughs> Spare me the sci-fi, please. But when we want to introduce innovation, when we want to introduce technology, what is the added value? Is it going to make human lives better? Is it going to make humanity better? Is it going to make results that we actually want to see in the future that we are building? Or is it just, um, you know, adding to the chaos of misinformation and disinformation circulating on social networks or adding inequality to the surveillance systems that are, you know, adding on top of the existing inequalities and um, um, possibly repressive practices that some governments practice, or violating human rights by being deployed in, in systems or countries or contexts where um, they should not be employed, like um, what what the EU AI Act wanted to introduce is the, the forbidden or the the uh, unacceptable use of AI. So asking ourselves the question why why are we doing this? Why we want to use AI systems? What is it actually adding? What kind of cost 
we are going to pay environmental human uh not only financial or technological but like if you're going to sell your soul for a shiny new tool <laughs> you better make make sure that it's worth it um so it's a fascinating question i hope we will we'll see more and more companies finding their own good answers all right so yeah thank you for for the question i think it's an amazing question very very open and yeah firstly i i think it's important to understand what makes us humans and what separate us from from ai so we should use ai to for example you know complete activities and be more effective at work and this is definitely something that we all are are already doing but it should not intervene in, in the like creative process of human beings or what makes us humans and we have believed that uh, creativity for example is something that ai cannot achieve and you know language models such as gpt models uh, they they only use information to existing information to make associations and, and uh, generate the output and we don't think that they are capable of being creative when it comes to for example human feelings and emotions uh, feel emotions like fear or love but uh, it's kind of scary uh, but I, I think you know based on experiments on articles studies it showed that that ai can be creative and this is something that we didn't believe for for many years ago but it shows that ai can actually be creative as seen in in generative ai or simply if we are using ChatGPT in and we instruct the, the 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 technology to be creative or to answer to answer a question in a different way and now there are even research uh, papers discussing how uh, the fusion models they can contribute to specifically imitating human behavior so i think it is this is pretty cool it's very interesting but also kind of scary i don't think that that ai should replace humans in many things but I think that we have entered an, an, an era or a time that we will continue to, to challenge this uh, notion. And as AI becomes even better, we will become to we will come to a time that we, it will be hard to understand where that line is between in specific things, not in everything, where the line is between what makes us humans and, and between humans and machines. Uh, but concrete tasks that sh AI shouldn't do is it shouldn't be used, for example, to create content using someone else's content without respecting copywriting, or it should not be used to mani manipulate data for personal gain. Uh, in the long run, uh, AI should make us more intelligent, uh, and we should use it to improve ourselves rather than making us more dependent on the technology. And this is something that we should be careful now with, uh, that you know, that using, for example, chatbots now, um, we should be careful to not be so dependent on the technology. It should make us more intelligent and, and not less intelligent as, as humans. But I think that the problem is not AI models becoming intelligent, but how we humans use them and, and for, for what propose or objective. In my opinion, rather than trying to, for example, limit the capabilities of an AI, the solution is to ask ourselves how we use AI responsibly. And using using or or accessing AI, I think it should be definitely more expensive. So through you know taxing AI companies, and it should be with uh, you know investment in AI security measures or, and uh, accountability. What we were discussing, 
in my opinion, having models such as GPT, uh, ChatGPT, so accessible to the public without knowing the consequences or whether our inter our our interests are being taken into account, it's bad. It's it's problematic. But I think in in the end it becomes very tricky because the interests of of countries from different uh, culture from from different cultures differ. So it's different, which is something that is inevitable. Some countries may have different concept concept of responsibility and how to use AI responsibly, which could be completely different or could could uh, violate the concept of responsibility in other countries. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, very very interesting question. Thank you. I'm also here uh, curious to hear if Carlos got <laughs> good teachers as well. <laughs> it was more like Irina. <laughs> uh, very just good very questions. <laughs> Oh, no, very, very interesting thoughts, uh, Carlos. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I think I, I want to piggyback on, on what you said, Carlos, about like separating or being very clear for ourselves, for our own sake, about what is different about AI and humans. Um, one thing that I'm very uncomfortable in quite a few AI discussions is using um anthropomorphic language about uh, machines like intelligent or knowledge or knowing or thinking uh, in it's kind of problematic in some context when we uh, kind of assume that those machines can do what we do uh right away right without recognizing it's problematic because we expect some kind of magic that all the answers would be correct or that the model can learn the facts by just looking outside the window. Um, but also what I've seen the danger of is that once we start thinking about the machines as intelligent, we, some people start discarding human lives, right? You, you're less important because you can be substituted by ChatGPT or any other large language model. Um, I don't need more artists or musicians or actors because all of that can be done by generative AI. I don't need any experts because uh, AI will forecast and make predictions. I don't need drivers or pilots or anybody because AI can do it all on autopilot and self-driving cars are going to be our future. There is a lot of that of discarding human experience or discarding humans as, you know, not as treating them not as humans that are value, valued and whose lives are have have value simply because they are humans just like all of us here um and like to the extent of thinking of humans as as tools right workers as autonomous uh autom automated yes automated machines right or um women as reproductive dolls, sex dolls that are only good for one pur purpose and don't have brains and emotions. I think I see language being used in that way as, as a way to discredit human experiences. And I'm very grateful that you brought up the division of like, there are certain things that we don't want AI to do because that would discard the 
um, the human values regardless of where you are or what your understanding of human rights is. Thank you. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And um, definitely, I think it's important that to have these boundaries clear, uh, these lines between what we humans are and machines are, should be very you know, clear. Uh, but I think, and this is moving very, very fast. And, you know, something that we believed for 10 years ago, we didn't expect that would be like how how is today uh, and if we are discussing about specific activities it's it's uh, it's clear that ai models could do it even better than humans uh, if i don't know the, if you you mentioned also about um, you know intelligence it's also how we define in, intelligence as well so yeah i mean it, it depends on the on on the activities i i definitely think that we should um, continue, for example, having conversations like these, uh, having human interaction more often. Uh, yeah, and and have these boundaries uh, clear between what makes us humans and, and, and machines. And I think also like we work on to a time that we will appreciate even more having uh, having something generated by by a human. So now we are so fixated with, for example, having okay, I'm I'm writing a text and I'm I'm asking ChatGPT to to proofread or to improve my text, uh, and because we we wanted to do it so perfectly, but I think we will come to time in the future that we will appreciate being not that perfect and because that's more human. And I think that, that that's great. That's what makes us humans. I mean, people kept on playing chess, even though uh, AI could beat a human at playing chess, right? We're still so engaged and, and interested in watching humans compete. What's the fun of watching machines compete anymore if they can do everything? <laughs> oh, thank you for exactly. sharing, Carlos. And I had, um, uh, you know, there was another topic that you brought up uh, that really resonates with me as well that uh, is about becoming dependent on technology and and unlearning things that we've already learned and we are maybe not perfect but kind of good at doing and something i noticed is that the more you rely in in certain ai tools the more you you, you stop practicing on your own you start offloading yourself and that makes you faster maybe perfecting certain skills um also getting new skills that you don't really have but you're able to leverage through ai so i think in the in the end game is is a very positive progress that we're seeing however i i agree that is a little bit you know maybe not a concern but something to to increase awareness of and and invest time on too when it comes to figuring out the impact on technology uh, no the technology has on us what is the the impact that AI has on our human behavior and dynamics? How does the, our brain really work together with AI? We, we become these hybrid solutions, right? That combines both the human talent and the AI tools. But what is the impact that this is going to have on us after 10 years of using these tools? Or, or even children that are like growing up with these tools. How are they going to continuously develop and practice their language skills if they do have these AI tools that they can always re resort to whenever they are in need, right? 
I be I believe that maybe for adults is not such a huge impact, but children are definitely so sensitive to to these types of changes, and we don't really have that many people involved that have the understanding of humans, like sociologists, for example, that are involved on AI solution design. So one one area that I would also like to see growing is people coming from the humanistic side, getting more and more involved in, in the traditionally tech conversations that are not tech anymore. They're actually human conversations where everyone should be involved with these kind of different perspectives, right? Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, let's let's drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for all your questions. We actually also have some questions uh, that were given from our listeners. First one, how do you implement generative AI in a secure way? All right. So um, first, I think it's important to provide training to the employees who will be using the technology. Maintaining clear inventory and documentation of the data that will be used as well uh, is crucial. Um, it's it's important to have like custom interfaces as well, like to to adapt to an, a specific project or company's company's needs. And th the data should be carefully reviewed before model training. You know, running sanity checks or checking for bias in data, identifying uh, outdated information, and so on. And we should only try to use uh, zero-party data and uh, first-party data and trying to exclude uh, third-party data. It's basically unknown data sources because this would basically compromise the privacy of the users. So in this way, we, we can produce more secure outputs to the models uh, or from the models. Um, in some ca cases, uh, companies could decide to train their own models as well. So rather than using uh chat you know gpt models they, they they could train their own models and these could uh, give them better security standards uh, and uh, having like more control over the data in general um, to to validate the quality of the outputs there are techniques like reinforcement learning with human feedback that's something that we already discussed uh, you know that's something that incorporates feedback for human evaluators that aligns with human values. This could be tricky. Um, and uh, well, I, I don't think we still have an end-to-end -end encrypted AI, but there are techniques such as um, FHE, so fully homomorphic encryption. So this this technique was not used uh, before because it was it was kind of slow, but now there are companies like Zama that are improving these techniques with uh, specific libraries. I think it's called Concrete. And these, there, there's research that shows that the outputs of GPT models, they actually maintain, or GPT-2, I think, actually can maintain the quality of the outputs even after being encrypted. So I think it's, it's worth to test these techniques. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Carlos. Um, since you went into giving uh, really good technical and practical tips, I'm going to uh, give a little bit more high-level suggestions. And I would uh, recommend two principles. The first one is making sure that uh, organizations address risk management conversations early on. So at the solution design stage, don't wait until the testing phase to really consider what could go wrong. And then the second one would be to make sure that uh, you monitor and follow up through, throughout the whole life cycle of the solution, not just until it's been 
proven that it adds value uh, once released, but rather throughout the whole life of the of the product or the solution. Since it may evolve uh, evolve with time with a new ingested data, you cannot really let it wild. You have to keep an eye open and make sure that you watch out for unintended behavior and outcomes. Fantastic. Thank you both. I love how, how we had such a wild philosophical discussion for an hour and then very specific technical tips. Here's what you do. <laughs> I, I hope that all the listeners will take it as a bonus. Um, yes. So for the technical part, absolutely data privacy, cybersecurity, all the uh, systems that you need to have in place, you need to have them in place because as we said before, because AI systems do everything at scale, recommendations or producing content, they the consequences also tend to be a lot more drastic than from a human. So if there is a mistake, you better catch it at the um, at the early stages. On the ethical side, and like since the topic is responsible AI, I would also add. Um, adding a four-eye policy or um, a multiple-eye policy. I'm not making assumptions about how many eyes your employees have, but um, just make sure that there is human oversight over which decisions get made, which decisions don't get made, and why. And you can not necessarily explain everything, but you know what's going on. You keep track, like like Rathia said before, for the unintended outcomes, and you're able to pre prevent uh, bad decisions or reverse them. And um, there are challenges, particularly with generative AI that we have mentioned so many times today, that are very hard or sometimes just impossible to solve even with all the guardrails in place and red teaming and like all the all the with all the best intentions so far they have been unsolvable like preventing um large language models to become too creative like one of the recent examples is from um, a German postal company that had a, a chatbot interact with their customers to, uh, you know, to find their lost packages or help them to solve their customer support problems. Except it was so ineffective in doing that that customers actually forced that model to become. Uh, great at writing poetry about just how ineffective that customer support was. If your customers can can do that, and the company ended up deleting um, uh, their chatbot from their website, maybe there is something that you need to be very careful with before you actually let it interact with your users, because that harms your business in the ways that you might not want. Um, and yes, something that Carlos has already said, please teach your employees when to trust and what when not to trust uh, AI decisions. Uh, thank you all. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to thank you all so much uh, for sharing your thoughts and your insights. They have been Irina from UNICEF, Carlos from Stora Enzo and Rosia from Atlan Insights. Thank you. <laughs>